Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily local sports podcast network alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. As always, I am Brian Peacock. You can subscribe to this show and all your favorite podcast apps. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt is a must follow at Williamson NFL. We have the host of Locked On Seahawks, Corbin Smith, joining us in just a few minutes, but first some more GM coaching news around the NFL. One out, one in. Let's start with Ron Rivera. He is the new head coach of the Washington Redskins. Yeah, uh, happy new year to all. Uh, very yes. much appreciate all you listeners and all you new people and spreading the word so much. We're growing really fast here, not just on this podcast, but the whole Locked On Network. Uh, please go to iTunes, leave us a review. We could, that, that would be useful. But thanks so much. And again, Happy New Year. Hope everyone had fun last night as well. Um, Washington, I like this. I was worried Snyder was going to go for the big splash, get the next McVeigh, you know, I mean, uh, the young guy that's a risky proposition, all or nothing type coaching hire. This is a double. I think they need a double. You know, a double off the wall, leadoff hitter. Uh, Rivera's a very solid coach. Um, it, it, he's won in this league. There's just not that many people that are available right now that fit that description. Bring in Del Rio as your defensive coordinator. I think they need stability. I think they need somebody to bring Haskins along. And so I'm all in favor of this. And you can build things in two different ways when it comes to the top structure of your football operations. And so it's either the head coach or you have a GM that comes in first, then he hires the head coach. And so this move after firing Bruce Allen, firing Jay Gruden, they brought in Ron Rivera first. So it's clear to me here that Ron Rivera is the top of the pyramid. It's going to right. be his show. He's got the final say on all issues. He'll have personnel people that he trusts that he brings in. And I think that's the right way to do things. So, I think you have to give Washington props for, I think, getting this one pretty right and, and stabilizing the organization a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Well said. I don't have a ton to add to it. I'm sure we'll talk more as the offseason goes on. I would imagine you'll see a Panthers-like defense, a pretty strict 4-3, not a ton of blitzing, and their front should be able to adapt to that well, especially if you throw a Chase Young in the mix or something oh, yeah. like that. You know, so... Uh, again, I really like it. I think that they will make things easier on Haskins, try to run the ball, you know, get some linemen on offense. Solid, very non-earth-shattering move, which is exactly what this organization needs. Yeah, and the more I think about it, Chase Young is just perfect there. Don't screw around. The draft sort of starts at pick number three. Joe Burrow won to Cincy. Chase Young, Ron Rivera, get that defense going in Washington. Uh, keep your young quarterback off the field early in his career, develop him. I, I think that's the perfect way to do it. Then it, in Detroit, pick three, I think, is where the draft begins and things start to get a little bit more interesting. Uh, we don't have a lot of time before we bring Corbin on here and talk a little bit about Seahawks and their matchup in Philly this weekend. But John Dorsey is out as GM in Cleveland, speaking of the top of the pyramid. So no coach, no GM now for the Cleveland Browns. And it sounds like he wasn't willing to take a reduced role. And this from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. He said, some key members of the personnel team assembled by John Dorsey have begun exploring work opportunities elsewhere. As one source said, it feels like they lost the battle to chief strategist Paul DePodesta, whose presence lingered in the Browns building the last two years. 
Yeah, and we're recording this at noon on New Year's Day, so there might be news by the time you listen to this. We're not going to have a show tomorrow, so this one's going to have to linger for 48 hours or so. Um, kind of like you mentioned with the Redskins, I think this is going to be a case of Josh McDaniels or someone along those lines. Um, what's his face? That, that former coach of the Packers. Uh, um, Mike McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's yeah. someone like that. And then they hire their GM and they're the top dog in the organization. So as there's a couple of if you're reading the tea leaves here with the Browns, I think it's it's pretty clear it's going to go a couple of directions and they have shown interest and they're going to they might be interviewing today or tomorrow during the 49ers bye week Niners defensive coordinator Robert Sala as a potential mm-hmm. head coach, uh, Josh McDaniels offensive coordinator for the Patriots, Mike McCarthy connection. There, there's a couple of connections with all three of those guys that make sense. So Elliot Wolf is one of the assistant GM or is the assistant GM in Cleveland. For now he's staying on. That Packers connection, Elliot Wolf under Mike McCarthy, that makes a lot of sense if that's the way the Browns go as the the structure at the top of that with Mike McCarthy at the top and Elliot Wolf staying on at his GM and, and their connection from the Green Bay days. And then when it comes to the Browns, and, and I agree with you, I think the Robert Sala thing, I, I think Robert Sala is going to be a good candidate for a lot of people and, and be really good in interviews, but I think they need more stability, more of a veteran head coach type I agree. in Cleveland than Robert Sala. So Josh McDaniels or Mike McCarthy make more sense. But there's a connection with the Niners as well with both Josh McDaniels and Robert Sala. Niners assistant GM under John Lynch, Adam Peters, is a name to watch if either Sala or McDaniels gets the job. Peters was in the scouting department with McDaniels in New England as they both climbed the ladder from 2003 to 2008. And then when McDaniels was head coach in Denver, Adam Peters was also in the personnel department there from 2008 to 2009. And then eventually... Uh, Adam Peters moved over to the 49ers and became assistant GM there. So those are, I think, the connections. Peters with either McDaniels and Sala or maybe Elliot Wolf staying on with Mike McCarthy. Uh, those are the ones that make the most sense and, and probably McDaniels or McCarthy for the Browns. Yeah, uh, well said. And I'm very impressed with Sala. My hunch is, though, next year he gets a job. Right, I believe, yeah, he he hits the interview circuit this year. The 49ers have another really good year, and they're a young team, and, and they're looking like they're poised to be good for a while. Then probably next year makes more sense just to get a little bit more experience. But I, I have a feeling he's going to be really good in interviews too. So maybe he does knock somebody off of their seat and ends up getting a head coaching job this year. We'll see. And 49ers offensive assistants, he could take one of them, and they're getting some heat around the league as well. So we'll see how that goes. The, the coaching carousel continues into 2020. All right, it's time to talk Seahawks, talk playoff football with today's guest. Now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with MyBookie. MyBookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at MyBookie. If you like to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay, pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come out, together on top the rewards will be huge the best part is if you join right now my bookie will double your first deposit that's right if you put in one thousand dollars they'll give you one thousand dollars to bet at my bookie that's double your initial deposit you can use on all your favorite picks use promo code locked on to activate the offer that's promo code locked on to double your first deposit 
Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Our guest today is Corbin Smith. He is the host of Locked on Seahawks. You can find him on Twitter at Corbin Smith, NFL. Corbin, appreciate you giving us the time. The Seahawks, that was a big matchup last week with the 49ers, and now the five seed, which is an infinitely more difficult path to the Super Bowl than would have been uh, the three seed is what it would have been for the Seahawks if they would have won. So road games in Philadelphia, what is the vibe around the Seahawks team right now as you head into wildcard weekend? Well, you would think losing three out of your final four games that the mood would be pretty dismal, but uh, this team is always optimistic. And I guess the good news is that they think they're going to be getting safety Quandre Diggs back this weekend, and he's been such a huge loss the last couple of games, not having him out there. They had 16 turnovers in the previous five games that he started. They've had zero the last two games. I don't think that's a coincidence. His impact back there, not just as an individual player, but his ability to make sure everybody's lined up properly. They've had a lot of issues with busted coverages. Uh, his replacement, Lano Hill, takes some of the worst pursuit angles I think I've ever seen on an NFL field, and he's done that the last two weeks against running backs, against receivers after the catch. They just they need Quandre Diggs. I think that's a huge difference maker for this team, and and I don't know what it is. They love playing on the road this year. They were seven and one on the road, four and four at home. That's unheard of at CenturyLink Field. So while I still believe winning the division was would be huge because of playing for home field advantage. This is a team that is certainly equipped and has handled road games. They already have won in Philadelphia once. So I'm just curious to see if that helps them at all. Pete Carroll seems to be convinced that winning there instead of beating them at home actually is going to help them in this game. But getting Quandre Diggs back would be huge. Dwayne Brown, there's a very slight chance he'll be back too. But if not, George Fant, I thought, played pretty well at left tackle the other night. So they feel pretty confident going into this game despite the fact that they're limping into the playoffs. How did they steal digs for peanuts from Detroit? What on earth is going on there? Well, the Detroit Lions were just being Detroit Lions. I mean, it's kind of like the Cleveland Browns, the organizations that just consistently are inept. I mean, I didn't understand that. As soon as the trade broke, I thought I didn't see the compensation. I thought they probably had to give up a third rounder or second rounder. And then I saw that they gave up a fifth. And I'm like, what are the Lions doing? And yeah, I'm like, is there something wrong with things that I don't know about? <laughs> no. Well, he had a hamstring injury when the Seahawks made the trade, but Seattle still signed off on it because they're like, well, that'll heal in a few weeks. He missed a couple games after they traded for him, and then he was fantastic for five games before he suffered a high ankle sprain. But I, I don't know. If you saw the responses on Twitter from his former teammates, uh, players in Detroit were not happy about that move being made. You're talking about a 26-year-old safety that can play. He can play both safety spots. He can play slot corner. He's played outside corner. The the guy's as versatile as they come. He's in his prime. You just extended him last year. So he's got several years left in his contract. And I think after this year, they guaranteed money is out the window. Not that Seattle's going to be looking to move him the way that he's played since they got him. But, yeah, it was an absolute steal because they got a seventh rounder in return, too. 
So you look at John right. Schneider's history, he's gotten he's made some really nice picks in the seventh round. So he's fine with adding one of those fifth rounder for it, and we'll, we'll get a player that can be a fixture at free safety for the next several years. Yeah, I don't know what the Lions were thinking, and just ask Darius Slay. I'm sure Darius Slay would have some interesting comments about that. He seemed to be the most upset when this trade <laughs> went down. So I don't know. It, it's just what Detroit, Cleveland, teams like that do. They wonder why they can't consistently win. When you make decisions like that, it, it's pretty obvious why. We've got to talk about the other newest addition to the Seattle Seahawks, and that is Marshawn Lynch. What are the early returns there? What did you think from his first game back? And I liked a little bit of the juice I saw from Travis Homer. Do you have a little thunder and lightning thing that the Seahawks will be able to utilize and make something out of nothing with this running back group heading into the playoffs? Well, let's start with beast mode because I think, you know, if you look at conventional stats, 12 carries for 34 yards, that's nothing spectacular. But I thought he looked like he had plenty of juice left in his legs. And I was laughing the first run that he made on Sunday night because it looked like he could have cut to his left and got two or three more yards, but he was so anxious to run into a pile. It's just the way that he plays. He's always seeking out contact. And there were a lot of runs where he had absolutely no chance, but You saw the burst. You saw the quickness on a 15-yard run that he had in the second half set up Seattle's first touchdown, Wilson finding Tyler Lockett. You saw the juice. He's he's not going to run a 4-4-6 anymore. He's not even close to that speed, but he's still got – he's so light and so quick on his feet. He's got such great balance, and you can still see he's a guy that defenders are going to make business decisions when they have to try to tackle him. So I think when you consider they lost Chris Carson – Marshawn Lynch is far from his prime, but that's about as good at that stage of the season as you're going to get bringing in a replacement. As for Travis Homer, I thought he looked a lot like Rashad Penny. And there's some things I think Penny's better at between the tackles. I don't think that Homer is as good of a running back overall, but I was really surprised that the Seahawks were able to run wide against the 49ers. Going into this game, I looked at San Francisco's injury situation, their interior defensive line, and immediately I thought, you know, their linebackers are not big linebackers. I think you could run between the tackles against them, but they didn't have much success doing that. They actually had success running pitches and sweeps outside with Travis Homer, and you could see the burst. He's a 4-4 guy, really quick, and he's smaller than the other running backs they have, but he showed toughness. He was seeking out contact at the end of runs, finishing runs with authority, and he's outstanding in pass protection. I thought he was the best pass-protecting running back in the 2019 NFL draft class. He dropped to the sixth round because I've still got some reservations about his vision, especially between the tackles. He sometimes misses cutback lanes, doesn't see he's not patient. He's such a downhill runner. Sometimes he doesn't show the patience in zone schemes, but he really played well. 10 runs for 62 yards, had a couple nice catches, an 11-yard catch on that last drive when Seattle tried to win the game, uh, picked up a first down. So they had to be really happy with what they got from him in his first start. Corbin, I believe that Russell Wilson is the best football player on the planet right now and that if the Seahawks had league average quarterback play, Carr, Goff, someone in that tier, they're a six-win team. I have a follow-up question, too, but are you on board with that statement? 
I agree 110%. I think especially when you look at all the injuries. I mean, they're going to have 19 guys on injured reserve by the time this week's over with. They have not placed uh, Michael Kendricks on there yet, but he will inevitably be placed. That that move is coming. He tore his ACL. So they they have 19 players. Ethan Posick was number 18 yesterday. And this just tells you how bad the injury situation has been for Seattle. The two players that they designated for return from injured reserve, tight end Ed Dixon as well as Posick, those two guys ended up playing, dressing in two games total before both going back on injured reserve. Ed Dixon was only on the 53-man roster for 24 hours, and then they placed him back on injured reserve. So there are going to be questions. They changed strength and conditioning coaches before the season. This is not a good start for this new regime. You got to wonder if the Seahawks are going to re-explore that. But this team is just so banged up, and that certainly has had an impact on the way they've played the last several weeks. It was nice to see the offense snap out of their slump in the second half the other night. But really, most of the second half, that offense just hasn't been humming the same way as it was earlier losing Rashad Penny was huge because he was really coming on for a couple weeks. He was the best player in that game against the Eagles. That's a noteworthy thing uh, to add here. 129 rushing yards. The Eagles couldn't stop him. Well, he's not going to be in this game. So they've had a lot of injuries. The defense has been very up and down. The pass rush has stunk all year. They've had a couple games where they got it together. Otherwise, they haven't been able to rush the passers. So I do think when you consider all the close games they won this year, I actually would say without Russell Wilson, this is a four or five win team. Yeah, I was being generous. Uh, And my (laughs) follow-up question, and I just did power ranks yesterday, and I I had Pete Carroll very high on the list of coaches and a great group of coaching staffs. However, if I'm the Eagles or any Seahawks opponent, I'm almost hoping that Marshawn Lynch is great that the Seahawks stick with their ground game, that they don't put everything on Wilson's shoulders. And frankly, I don't understand why they're so run heavy with the guy they have at quarterback. Well, trying to think how to say this because I'm a running guy and I completely agree with you. They should have Wilson throw the ball more than, but here's, this is the thing that I've noticed and I didn't always agree with this viewpoint, but then I watched that second half on Sunday night, Russell Wilson, it it seems like to really get the juice going for him, you need to get him using his legs a little bit. Because the first half, they were just having him do straight drop backs. They were having him straight drop backs off play action. There wasn't any pocket movement whatsoever. He wasn't scrambling very much. It, It didn't look like he was totally in the game throwing the football. Second half, he starts running all over the place, sometimes uh being forced by the 49ers defense, but Once he had a couple nice runs moving out of the pocket, it just seemed like he started throwing the ball better. And I think he's one of those quarterbacks that he truly does feed off having that running game working because you can mix him in as well. I think that's the key here. He's not as fast as he used to be, but the Seahawks have to find ways early in the game to get him involved in the run game, even if it's just the threat of a read option. If he holds on to it one time and picks up four or five yards – that's going to get him more into the game. I've seen enough evidence of that to believe that really helps him throwing the football. I don't know what it is. It just seems like it gets him rolling. It gets the juice flowing. So uh, I, I do think the running game is important. I agree with you that when you get a quarterback of his level, 
you should be putting the ball in his court earlier than that, be more aggressive throwing the football early. Uh, but uh, the team's foundation is running the football. And I think that, you know, with the running backs they've got right now, you're not going to be able to feed, you're not going to feed Lynch 20, 25 times. Uh, his legs will fall off. Travis Homer is like 180, 185 pounds. You're not going to run the ball with him 20 times, but they still want to have that threat of a run game. I agree with you, though, going to this contest, especially with the way Philadelphia's front line, which to me is the one unit that is still really good on this football team. Uh, They're going to have to be careful that they don't fall into that hole where they're going run, run, pass. I think Schottenheimer's done a little better job this year mixing things up, but it seems like in recent weeks they have had more of those uh, very predictable run, run, pass oriented drives here's my take on it real quick is I think Wilson's career before the 2018 season before last year was obviously great but it was also very sandlot play out of structure run around with like a chicken with his head cut off great athlete make plays you know late in the down and I think Carroll was very smart to say Let's go back to fundamentals, Russ. Let's extend your career, make you a master of every phase of the position. We're going to run the ball like crazy. We're not going to force you to be the entire engine of the whole thing. You're the best deep passer in the league. We run a lot of play action. These things all complement each other well enough. And I thought he had his best season as a pro in 2018 as a result. This year, he was even better. And my contention is, okay, you passed all those tests with flying colors. The foundation is set. Now throw it like crazy because you're awesome. Well, there's one th- there's one big caveat here. Have you seen the Seahawks offensive line? True. True. This is not this is not a team that and I was talking about this with but Brian on our show block. last week. I mean, it's built that way. They're built that way. Think about it, though. That some of the guys that they have brought in, I mean, Dwayne Brown is their best pass-protecting offensive lineman, and he's injured right now. They're hoping he's going to be back this weekend, but mm-hmm. slim chance knee surgery that he's going to be ready. But this is not an offensive line that has been constructed, and you can blame the front office and coaching staff for that. They didn't bring in guys that are known as outstanding pass protectors. That's not the identity they have, but at the same time, Time. This is it's just not a team where you can afford to drop back 45, 50 times with Russell Wilson and uh, just swing the ball all over the place. They, they've they got enough inexperience with their receivers. The offensive line's really – I mean, the line I thought played a lot better the second half the other night, but it's still not a unit that is built and constructed to be able to play that style. And you can blame the front office for that, uh, the coaching staff, for, for not bringing in the players to allow – such a system to work, but that's just not that's not the system that Pete Carroll runs. He's not suddenly yeah. going to be running a spread air raid, throwing it all over the place type <laughs> offense. And there are plenty of fans clamoring as successful as Pete Carroll's been. Like, man, what if we had a coach that would let Wilson throw that much and we could have a more innovative offense? And, you know, I get those arguments, but at the same time, it's like, have you seen what this team has done in this decade compared to the other decades there i mean it's easily the most successful one they have been the most consistent team in the nfc the last 10 years so i understand the gripes but at the same time uh, this franchise has been pretty successful doing things the way they've done them so no doubt and it also protects their defense and they need protection this year because that defense is definitely not it's not 2013 anymore folks (laughs) not even close 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. I want to talk a little bit about that defense and some team speed issues that I saw Sunday night, and we do have to get to that matchup with the Eagles Sunday. More with Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks coming up. Corbin, Week 17, there were points in that game, especially in the first half and really throughout the game, where it looked like the 49ers were playing on turf and the Seattle Seahawks were playing on quicksand and in the second half you mentioned how it went to backyard football and Russell Wilson just took over and he was dropping back and and making space and and scrambling and making plays happen and then maybe the pass setting up the run a little bit with everybody so worried about Russell Wilson scrambling and the run up the middle and Homer was able to get outside and make some runs there I think pass setting up the run is the way to go about this thing for the Seahawks the rest of the way rather than run setting up the pass because that did not work in the first half but team speed looked like a big issue. They look like they're playing on two completely different surfaces Sunday night. I think it goes back to the name I mentioned earlier, not having Quandre Diggs out there. And you guys know this. If you're not completely comfortable in the field, you're not going to run as fast as you're capable. I mean, this is not a team that has a ton of speed compared to previous defenses. That's just being honest. But I think you're seeing this the last two weeks with Lano Hill back there, and I don't want to keep picking on him because it's not completely his fault. But when they had Quandre Diggs enter the starting lineup, you had all kinds of players, Bradley McDougal, Shaquille Griffin, a bunch of those guys are saying, we can just focus on doing our job because he lines us up. He knows what he's doing. He knows all the positions on the field because he's played all of them. And it, it makes our life so much easier. And the two games he's been out in the fourth quarter when he came out in Carolina, the defense has looked in shambles and they've had busted coverages, bad pursuit angles. It doesn't seem like guys are lined up where they need to be. So when you have those issues and you start thinking too much, which I think some of these guys are, especially when you're playing an offense that is coordinated by Kyle Shanahan, that's going to have a bunch of misdirection. And you know, he's going to be a step ahead of the defensive coordinator. It makes life really difficult. So I think that's the biggest problem right now for this defense. Why they look like that, especially in the first half is I got to wonder how confident they are, you know, where they're lined up and stuff. And once you start thinking, you lose some of the speed and it takes away your effectiveness. Corbin, my, my last thing for you is this matchup is I think Seattle is very equipped to go on the road, probably better than just about any team in the league. And it'll be a rough environment, but I don't think it phases this team one bit. I look at the Eagles, though, and I think Wentz is playing very, very well, but I still give the, the edge the quarterback, of course. But where I think the Eagles have their biggest advantage is both lines of scrimmage. Well, it depends on who's available on the offensive line. If they don't have Lane Johnson back, they just lost Good Brandon point. Brooks, too. Right, right. Uh, if both those guys are out. And here's the thing with this defensive line for Seattle. They had two or three games, the first matchup against the 49ers, the game against Philadelphia, and uh, the following week uh, when they were playing Minnesota, uh, they have had a few games where that line was really playing well, getting after the quarterback, and then Clowney, you know, Clowney didn't even play in the first Philadelphia game, and they still had a bunch of sacks against Carson Wentz. Lane Johnson didn't play in that game. They did have Brooks for a quarter or two, and then he exited with, I think that was the game he left because he had an anxiety-related issue, but their offensive line has had a bunch of injuries. If they don't have those two guys on the right side and they have to play Dillard or one of those other players, Dillard just really struggled as a rookie, and they owned him in that game. I could see this actually being a game where Shaquem Griffin is going to be a big impact player in pass rushing situations because he was in Wentz's face 
four or five times in that first matchup. He's just so dang quick off the edge. If you don't have Lane Johnson in there and you've got somebody else playing, I just feel like that's a huge advantage for Seattle. Now, on the flip side, I agree with you with the Eagles' defensive line. I still think, looking at the numbers, Fletcher Cox didn't have quite the season he's had in recent years, but I still think he is underrated. He's one of the best defensive linemen in the entire league. They've got a couple other guys that I think could be real nuisances up front. Brandon Graham always plays well well against the Seahawks, it seems like. And then the blitzing packages they're going to bring. Malcolm Jenkins had two sacks in the first matchup. And so I I am concerned about that defensive front. The Seahawks were able to bust a couple big runs, but it was with Rashad Penny. Is Travis Homer going to be able to do the same? He has the same burst. I just don't know if he's got the same vision to find those creases between the tackles. They're going to have a tougher time running outside against this Eagles team. They weren't able to do that very well in the first matchup. So it is. there are some concerns there with that front line I think on the flip side though the injuries that the Eagles have up front if Johnson can play that changes things a little bit even if he's less than 100 percent that's that's a huge deal for them if they're missing both those guys and the Seahawks don't feast then that's the story of your season the defensive line just didn't get it done six weeks ago 17 to 9 the Seahawks were able to go into Philadelphia beat the Eagles Corbin can the Seahawks do it again they're favored by one and a half points is it going to be another sort of a a sloppy slugfest, low-scoring game. Both of these teams, kind of luckily for Seattle, they get to go face another team that's sort of limping into the playoffs. And if team speed's an issue, that's also an issue for the Eagles offensively with their receiving group so banged up. How do you like the chances Sunday in Philly? And if if the Seahawks do get past the Eagles... The rest of the NFC, is it's a tough gamut for Seattle. What, what are your feelings there? What's your confidence level for the Seahawks to get at or near the Super Bowl this year? Uh, it looks like ESPN gives the Seahawks a 3.5% chance to get there. If you're saving your prediction for Friday, don't divulge it here, though, either. Leave it for Locked on Seahawks. Well, I'm not going to make a prediction okay. for the game. I'm, I'm going to save that for our crossover show, but I, I will say this. I think three and a half percent is just about right because I like their chances of winning in Philadelphia. There is one thing. I, I, I don't know how big of a deal this is, but I, I talked about it on our show yesterday. I, I wrote an article about it too. The Seahawks are one in six in rematch games the last two years, wow. including the Cowboys game last year. They beat Dallas earlier in the season. Then they lost in the wild card game. So they have been, they have really struggled when they've had to have a second matchup. And obviously most of those were divisional games, but they just lost three straight games to NFC West teams that they had beaten the first time. So uh, there obviously are some injuries to worry about there. That makes me wonder though, is there a game planning issue here with your coordinators? Because this coincides with the addition of Brian Schottenheimer and Ken Norton Jr. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but it makes you wonder if other teams are doing a better job game planning for the second matchup based on what happened the first time around. Uh, When you go one and six, to me, that's a large enough sample size. When you only have a 16-game season, that's a large enough sample size for me to be like, ooh, that's not necessarily a good development there. So if they somehow lose this game and they drop to one and seven in those situations, then you got to go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, there's something to this. What is going on? And again, the injuries could be a factor. The last few weeks has been a big deal. But I think Quandre Diggs plays this weekend. I think that's a huge difference maker for for the Seahawks in Philadelphia. I think they got a good chance there. And if they get to the second round, this is going to sound crazy me saying this, but – 
if as long as the Vikings don't pull off an upset over the Saints, which I think the Saints will win that game, but uh, it, the Seahawks go to San Francisco for a third matchup, I actually would be more confident in them winning that game than going. I think Green Bay is a weaker team, but the Seahawks have stunk in Green Bay. I don't care what year it is. I don't care what their road record is. Going to Lambeau this time of year is not fun. So I actually think that the Seahawks would have a better chance of advancing to the NFC title game if they play the 49ers a third time. And who wouldn't want to see them play a third time the way the first two games went down? Let's be honest. <laughs> I don't know if my heart can stand another Seahawks 49ers game. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Year. I think the death toll might go up a little bit if we have a third <laughs> matchup with those two teams. But I, I, I think it would be another fun game. The Seahawks have always played pretty darn well in San Francisco, too. So uh, it's weird saying that with the number one seed being the 49ers. But And if we were playing on a neutral field, I'm taking a a game against the Packers any day of the week over the 49ers. But Lambeau is just, you look, the Seahawks, they've stunk there. So I would be more confident in their ability to go to San Francisco and beat a familiar foe in a grudge match than going to Lambeau to play the Packers. That is Corbin Smith, host of Locked On Seahawks. Corbin, thank you so much for joining the show. Can you tell the listeners where they can find all of your work? Yeah, you can find uh, my stuff on social media at Corbin Smith NFL on Twitter. You can also visit Seahawk Maven on Sports Illustrated, SeahawkMaven.io. You can see all of our articles and videos and stuff there. So uh, appreciate any support that you guys have. No show tomorrow. Happy New Year, everybody. Be back Friday previewing and making picks for Wild Card Weekend right here, Locked On NFL.